Good morning. I'm glad to be with you, and I'm excited about continuing in this series about hearing God's voice and knowing His will. Last week, we started the series by talking about the different ways God speaks, and there are eight different ways in the Old Testament we see God speaking, and then Jesus comes along, and then the Holy Spirit comes along. Um, and just you can go back and, and listen to that sermon if you missed it or want to review it on our website. Uh, under the sermon tab. And anytime, if you want to see my sermon notes, it's essentially a transcript of the message. All you got to do is just email me and I'll send that out to you. I'd be happy to. Uh, But just to sum it up for you, what we talked about last week was God speaks in a variety of ways. He he never seems to speak the same way to the same person. Uh, And he always speaks in an unexpected time. You can't schedule it. But the good news is that we, as God's people today, in, in, in the era we live in now, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, which means we have access to God 24-7, which means God can speak to us anytime and does, speaks to us every day. We have a better opportunity to hear God's voice than virtually anyone who lived in the time of the Bible aside from Jesus himself. So we're very fortunate Uh, The question is, are you on God's wavelength? Are you putting yourself in places where you can hear His voice when He speaks? And are you committed to obeying Him? Have you already obeyed the things He's told you to do up to this point? So that's kind of a summary of last week. Today we're going to talk about, will you recognize God's voice when He speaks? There are a lot of voices that are speaking into our lives today. There's the expectations of your friends and family. There's the the peer pressure of culture. There's advertising and other popular culture voices telling you to go this way or that way. There's your own desires that are speaking to you. How do you know when it's God speaking and when it's one of those other voices? So we're going to start with Isaiah 31, verse 21, which reads, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And the context there is the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of Judah uh, who've, who've got a history of making bad decisions. And they're paying the consequences of those bad decisions. But he's giving them a very, very precious promise. He's saying, once you put away your idols, once you finally put God on the throne of your life and decide whatever he says, I'm going to do it this time from this point forward, once you do that, he'll guide you. He will speak to you. He will give you the wisdom to make the right decision, to know whether to turn right or whether to turn left. You'll hear his voice. You'll know his will. And that's an incredible promise. And I believe that's still true for us today. In fact, as I said earlier, it's even more true because God is with us constantly now in the form of his Holy Spirit. But again, the question is, will I recognize God's voice when he speaks? So think about it. You have this restless feeling over a period of time that, that, that some kind of change needs to happen in your life. How do you know if that's just your own human desires desiring change or whether that's God prompting you to make a move? You have a strange dream one night. The next morning you wake up and how do you know whether that was God trying to communicate some truth to you or if it was just you having indigestion? You, you go through a series of terrible events, one after another, boom, 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 tragedies hit you, how do you know whether God is punishing you for some sin you've committed or whether he's trying to teach you a lesson or whether it's just a random series of events that that are just the result of living in a sin-cursed world? I mean, I can tell you if you have this vague notion that you should send your pastor and his wife 
and kids on a trip to Tahiti, that's the voice of God for, for sure. But otherwise, that was a joke. Otherwise, how do we know when we hear the voice of God and when it's something else? And before we get into this, I just, I just need to give this little disclaimer. I usually hate how-to preaching. I just, to me, most of the time it comes across, it ends up being self-help instead of really preaching from the Word. Uh, in this time in the, sermon, in the, in the worship service, when we're, when we're studying the Word, we need to really get into the Bible and what it says and how to apply it to life. And so people don't really need Brother Big Hair's 10 Tips for Raising Happy Kids or Sammy Skinny Jeans's Five Principles for a Financial Bottom Line. I mean, those are not really sermons, and yet that's what a lot of Christian preaching is today. And I'm committed to, to really giving you the Word of God. And yet when I, when I thought about this question and everything the Scripture says about how to learn, how to recognize God's voice, the best format I could come up with was, here are seven things, here are seven principles I've found. And what these principles are, are there ways of exercising a muscle, of developing a skill? Because hearing and recognizing God's voice is a skill you develop over time. The longer you live, the longer you practice these things that we're going to talk about today, the better able you're going to be to hear the voice of God and to recognize His voice and to make good decisions. So let's start right there with seven principles, seven practices that help you develop the skill of recognizing God's voice. Number one, and this is the most important, so this is where I'll spend the most time. Number one, read the Bible daily and systematically. Now, I don't have to explain the term daily to you, but what do I mean when I say systematically? When I, mean, when I say systematically, I mean have a plan for reading. I mean, don't just read randomly. Don't just open the Bible and, and pick out some random verse. Don't just read the same passages or the same books of the Bible over and over again. That's what we tend to do. But find a way to make sure you're getting the full counsel of God's Word over a period of time. And there's a, a number of different ways to do that. I, I can remember several years ago, I just sat down at my computer and in the search bar uh, where I would normally type in, a, a URL or a, or a web address for a website, I just typed in the words Bible reading plan and came up with dozens and dozens of different options. And that, that launched me into a reading plan that I used for years to come. These days, I love the YouVersion app. That's Y-O-U version. Uh, it's found on your smartphone. And this is a, this is a version of the Bible or, or an app that's been developed by a church in Oklahoma uh, that has virtually every translation of Scripture you can name in all languages, basically every language on earth, it's free of charge, and there are Bible reading plans included. You can have plans that last five days or three weeks or three years. You can, you can have plans that are on a specific theme or on you know, plans about facing fear or plans on acquiring wisdom, or you can just read a, a full year's, you can read the whole Bible in a year or a whole Bible in three years or five years. So there's lots of options there. I highly recommend it. But you don't really need technology. Those are, those are two great things. You can search on the internet. You can use version, Or you can just open your Bible, start with Matthew chapter 1, read it today, tomorrow get up and read Matthew 2, and keep going until you're done with the New Testament. And once you're do, done with the New Testament and your, your mind is more acclimated to the way Scripture works, you start with Genesis and you keep on reading. 
There's nothing in the world wrong with that. As long as you're getting the Word of God into your mind, that is so beneficial in learning to recognize God's voice. Why? Two reasons. Number one, because God inspired Scripture. Now, I know human beings wrote it down, and every book reflects that particular human being's personality and style, but God inspired the words. So every time you're reading the Bible, God is speaking. So if you've ever stopped and said, I wish God would speak to me, God never seems to speak to me, actually every time you read the Bible, God is speaking. Do you have ears to hear? And and here's the thing, we learn to recognize people's voices by spending time with them in conversation. Think about it this way, who is the person that you talk to the most? Maybe it's a parent or a child or your spouse or your best friend. Maybe it's a coworker, someone you work, for, work with very closely. Whoever it is that you converse with the most, I guarantee you if you walked into a room with 50 people having conversations, you would be able to hear that person's voice over everybody else's. You'd be able to say, oh, she's here. I know. I, hear her voice. I don't see her yet, but I know she's here. Because we, we become familiar with the sound of someone else's voice when we, when we spend enough time talking to them and listening to them. And that's the way it is with God's Word. If we will study it daily and systematically, we'll learn to recognize how God speaks. We'll learn to recognize the kinds of things He says. And then we'll know whether that voice that we're hearing is really His voice or something else. And, and there's a second reason why reading the Bible daily and systematically is so important. God's Word is our standard for right and wrong. We know that God's not going to contradict Himself. We know that if we feel a certain way, like for instance, if, uh, if a married person says, I'm really attracted to this person I'm not married to, maybe that's God telling me to leave my current spouse and, and go be with this other person. We know that's not right. We know that's not the voice of God because God doesn't contradict Himself and God's Word clearly says that's sin. 1 John 4.1 says it this way, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's to see whether they are from God. So what that's saying is, just because you hear a teaching or a voice doesn't mean it's from God. And that includes me. That includes your life group leader. That includes the the famous preacher you're podcasting or, or watching on television. If you hear someone say something about God or about spiritual matters, and it doesn't seem to line up with what you've been taught, then check it against the Word of God. And I'm serious. If you think that I've said something unscriptural, I'm begging you, come talk to me about it. Give me the opportunity to to be corrected or to at least say, no, you misunderstood me. But test the spirits. The The Word of God tells us the truth, and God won't contradict Himself. So here's a great example of testing the spirits read about a woman who many years ago had a very vivid dream. And in this dream, one of her children was killed. And she wakes up the next day, and she's, she's still replaying the details of this dream in her mind. She's, she's weeping as she thinks about how awful this was. And she tells her husband, this, this is what I dreamed last night. Do you think God is trying to tell me something today? And so the two of them just sat down and they said, okay, what do we know about God and how he, how he uses dreams in his word? Well, in, in the Bible, whenever God sends a dream to someone, you know it's God and you know what he's trying to communicate. There's always some kind of a warning or some kind of instruction. And the husband said, so was there any kind of warning or instruction in your dream? Was it about, uh, I drive too fast, or we need to buckle the kids up, or we need to stop feeding them this kind of food, or, or we need to make some... And she said, no, there was nothing. It was just terrifying. And the two of them together determined God would not, consistent with his character in Scripture, God would not send me a terrifying dream just to scare me. So this dream was not from God. 
Maybe it was from the devil. Maybe it was just my own mind, my own imagination. But either way, I don't need to worry about it. It's just a dream. And sure enough, 20, 30 years passed. All the kids grew up. None of them suffered the the terrible fate that happened in this dream. Because she knew God's word, she was able to test the spirits and determine what God was saying or what God wasn't saying. So that's number one. Read the Bible daily and systematically. Number two, read the Bible with an expectant heart. Whenever we read God's Word, and I'll just confess this, I've, I've, been, I've been diligently applying myself to reading the Bible for a long time. Let me just put it that way. And, and one of the problems is I can get into a mode, and I'm sure this is true for you too, of just saying, okay, I've got three chapters to read today, or one chapter, or three verses, or whatever the case may be. Let me just get that out of the way so I can move on with my day. And we can just read it with the same sort of lack of enthusiasm that we take out the trash. It's just a chore. We don't read it with an expectant heart. We need to understand every time we open the Bible, every time, there's an opportunity for us to hear something from God, either to learn some new lesson or to be reminded of something that we haven't thought of in a while and need to apply. And I'll just give you an example from my own life. When I was a teenager, a young teenager, I had grown up in church. I was in church basically from the time I was in my mother's womb. I was a prenatal Baptist. Uh, got saved when I was nine. And I truly believe that as a nine-year-old, I understood enough about sin and redemption and the, the grace of God to truly be saved. But the problem is, I never really developed an understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. I went to church because my parents made me go to church. I, I followed the rules because life tended to work out better that way. I, I wasn't really following Jesus. And then one day, I remember sitting in church and either the pastor brought this verse up or I just happened to read it on my own. It was Luke 9, 26 that says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And it hit me, if I stood before Jesus right now, at 15 years old or 16 or however old I was then, if I stood before Jesus right now, I'd have to admit, I've been ashamed of you, Jesus. I haven't, I've been too ashamed to proclaim you. I I've been more concerned with impressing my friends and them thinking I'm cool and and being popular than I was with the idea of being a representative of Jesus and being proud to be seen as his follower and helping others to know him. And I I thought, man, if I stood before Jesus now, I'd have to admit, I've I've acted like I was ashamed of you. And that was that realization, that that kick in the gut from the Word of God was a big part of a decision I made later on in 16 to truly commit to following Jesus. And what if I hadn't read God's Word with an expectant heart? God can do those kinds of things at any time, but we have to read, we have to be open, we have to pray, God, get me ready for what you're going to say. And number three is related to that second one. Write down everything you learn. Now, I can't find a scripture to back this up, But think about it this way, important people in your life, can can you remember every conversation you've ever had with your spouse, with your parents, with your best friend? Of course not. God speaks though, and we want to record everything he says because we'll forget it otherwise. It'll go away no matter how profound it is at this particular moment. And, And so I have found that a big part of me listening and reading with an expectant heart is that I have my notebook open with my, with my pen in my hand, or I have my computer open with a document open and my spiritual journal on the screen. So I'm ready. I'm saying to the Lord, when you speak, I'm ready to write whatever you say down because I don't want to lose it. I highly recommend journaling in that way. 
Even if it's just, this is the verse I read today that made an impression on me, and here's what I plan to do in response. In fact, that's probably the best way to journal. Number four, ask God about the circumstances of your life. See, some of us, and and let's just admit, we all struggle to interpret the circumstances that we encounter. So there are a lot of Christians that you hear about uh, in sermons and, and in popular Christianity who use the open door principle. Basically, if, if I'm facing two doors and one of them looks more inviting than the other, I choose the more inviting door, the open door, you might say. So for instance, if I'm miserable in my job, I'm not, of course, but if I was, and another job opened up, I'd say, aha, that's an open door. I'm going to take this other job because it's a way to get out of the job I'm in now. Or if I were single, I'm not. But if I'm, I were single and some attractive single woman was interested in me, I'd say, oh, well, that's an open door. I obviously should ask her out. Well, is that really the way God works? That's the way we tend to operate. But is that really how God speaks? And the answer is not always. There's a story that I love uh, about a, a young Christian man who felt called to the ministry, and so he went to a Bible college. This was many years ago. Went to one of the more famous Bible colleges in the South, and he was studying there, and over time started to believe uh, he didn't agree with some of the university's policies. For instance, that university was segregated, so non-whites were not allowed admission, and he thought that was wrong. And so he decided, well, I probably need to transfer since I don't agree with the policies, but I owe it to the president of the university, the founder of the university, to go and sit down and try to explain why I'm leaving. I mean, this is just the whole principle of I want to be honest with my brother. And so he goes, he makes an appointment with the founder of the university, this guy who's well-known across America, who, who this young man respects deeply. And he sits down and he says, listen, I've decided to transfer out and I just wanted to tell you my reasons and I just wanted you to understand I don't hold any... I, I, no hard feelings, but, but I just want you to know how I'm thinking. And to his surprise and disappointment, the man on the other side of the desk, the founder of the university, was furious with him and, and basically told him, yeah, you can leave if you want to, but what this shows is a complete lack of character on your part, a lack of ability to uh, respect your authorities. And I'll just tell you right now, you might as well not become a preacher because you're never going to amount to anything. Now, if I were in that young man's shoes, I probably would have interpreted that as a closed door. This is a sign from God that I was wrong about my call to the ministry. I just need to go back home and become a farmer like my dad or a fuller brush salesman or a politician or something else. But I'm glad that that young man did not interpret that closed door as God's voice because his name was Billy Graham. And I'm not making that story up. Billy Graham went on followed God's call in spite of what seemed to be a closed door, and millions of lives were changed. Now, there's a story in the Scriptures about this. In Acts 16, Paul and his band of missionaries, they want to go to Asia, the continent of Asia. That They want that to be their next place of taking the gospel, their next mission field. But according to Acts 16:7, God won't let them go. And it doesn't tell us how God is closing the door on them, but we assume it's because of circumstances. There's some circumstance that keeps Paul and his friends from going to Asia. And so he prays about it. He says, Lord, help me interpret this. What, what am I to do uh, since I can't go where I think needs, to, needs the gospel the most? And God gives him a dream that night. That night he has a dream where he sees a man from Macedonia who says, Paul, come to us. We need your help. 
And so Paul makes the decision, instead of going to Asia, he's going to go to Europe because that's the guidance of the Lord. And don't you see how different history is today? Because the gospel went to Europe first, the land many of us uh, hail from originally in our, in our heritage. See, Paul faced a closed door, some circumstances in life that weren't what he wanted, so he took them to God and he said, Lord, show me what to do. And that's always the way we should. We, we should just admit, we are not smart enough to interpret our circumstances on our own. Take them to God. All right, number five, have wise counselors in your life. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Now, God liked that verse so much, he put it in the book of Proverbs three different times. You can look it up. And I don't think it's because Solomon forgot he wrote it down, and so he wrote it down again and again. I think God is saying, I want you to get this message. You need help. All of you, you need to acquire people around you who are smarter than you, who are wiser than you, who are bold enough to tell you the truth, who are bold enough to tell you when they think you're headed in the wrong direction. Now again, there's a story from the life of Paul that illustrates this. And this comes in Acts chapter 13. Paul, uh, early in his, mission, in his ministry career, the first place he ever really did full-time ministry that we know of, he was one of five teaching pastors at the church in Antioch. So basically, he was part of the church staff. And one night, they were having a prayer meeting, the, the Antioch Christians, having a prayer meeting. And in the middle of the prayer meeting, there, there came this general consensus among the members. We think it's time to take two of our pastors, Paul and Barnabas, and send them away, to send them out to preach the gospel in places where it's never been preached before. And that had never been done before. There was no such thing as foreign missionaries until this very moment. And you might be sitting there saying, well, Jeff, I've been praying and I feel like we should send you away. And if so, I'm asking you to pray extra hard about that, okay? Uh, but what I want you to see is God used the wise counsel of others to show Paul his will. Paul didn't come up with this idea. It was brought to him by his fellow Christians. See, this is one reason why it's so important to be part of a church, to be part of the body of Christ. The Christian life was never meant to be a solo endeavor. And can you hear God's voice? Can you read the Bible for yourself? Absolutely. But you still need God's people around you to, to bounce ideas off of and, and for somebody to be able to stand up and say to you, buddy, what you're saying right now is, cannot possibly be the Word of God because this is what it says in God's Word. You understand? We need that accountability. And beyond just being part of a church, you need to invest in relationships with people. That's why small groups are so important. That's why life groups are something we emphasize over and over again. If you're not part of a life group, you need to be one. And right now, during this time of quarantine, if you're, if you're not participating in one of those Zoom meetings with your life group, then you need to. You need to take time and, and invest in those relationships because that's part of the way God is going to speak to you, part of the way you're going to learn to hear His voice. And, and please don't, don't misunderstand Sometimes God's people can be wrong. Sometimes very wise people can say things to you that turn out not to be true. But I'll tell you this, if all the wise people in your life are telling you that the direction you're headed is wrong, then that ought to at least give you pause. That ought to at least make you say, I need to pray extra hard about this so that I make sure that I'm doing the right thing. So do you have friends who you can trust to tell you the truth? Do you have friends who are bold enough to say to you what you're doing is wrong? 
do you have people you can sit down with and say, help me pray about this decision? Because if you don't have those kinds of friends, you need to find them, pray for them, acquire them, invest in those relationships. They will pay off. Number six, in developing the skill of hearing God's voice, be honest with yourself. And here's what I mean by that. We have to admit that in some of the decisions we're making, we have a strong leaning one way or the other. We have a desire in our heart. Let me just go back to those two earlier examples. If, if I hated my job and, and there was another job opening, I would know my desire is to quit my job and take a new one. If I were single and, and there were an attractive uh, single woman who was interested in me, in me, I know that my heart would say, yeah, that's probably the right move. So what I'm saying is be honest about that. Be honest enough to say, I'm not objective. So it's going to be hard for me to know whether the voice I'm hearing in my mind is actually the voice of God or just my own desires talking. I'm saying confess that before God and just say, Lord, I want your wisdom. I want to know your will, but it's hard for me because I have a desire in this. So help me to remove that and just hear you. Is it possible that sometimes God's will and your desires line up? Absolutely but you want to be sure. If you're talking to one of your wise friends and you're asking for counsel, admit to them, listen, there's a, there's a will that I have in this, but I want you to tell me what you think. Be honest with yourself. And then finally, number seven, ask God to confirm His will. Now, there's a story I love from the book of Judges. It's the story of Gideon. And, and there's a lot of reasons I love that story. I've preached on it before. I'll probably do it again. Hope you forget about it so it'll be a surprise when I, when I do. But um, one of the things I love about that story is how hesitant Gideon is. This is not a bold man at all. So just to recap very quickly, Gideon, it, God sends an angel to Gideon that says, Gideon, I want you to raise an army and go fight against the Midianites. And you and I probably think, okay, if an angel shows up and I know it's an angel from God, then I'm pretty sure I know what God's calling me to do. But Gideon's not sure. The angel leaves and Gideon says, okay, God, I just want to make sure that I understood what you're saying. So if that was really your voice, then I'm going to set out a fleece, a, a piece of lamb's wool. And tonight, uh, while I'm sleeping, would you make that piece of wool wet and the rest of the ground dry? And, it, and if it's that way in the morning, I'll know that, that it was you speaking. And so Gideon wakes up and that's exactly what happened. So the next night, he says, okay, God, I'm still not sure. So tonight, I'm going to leave the fleece out again. And this time, I want the fleece to be dry, but the ground to be wet. So it happens. So there's a third sign. And, and then the night before the battle, Gideon follows God. He raises a, an army. And God comes to Gideon and said, listen, I know you're still scared. I know you're still not certain. So I'm going to do you a solid. Sneak down to the enemy camp tonight. And, and I'll just give you a sign that will blow you away. So Gideon and, his, and one of his friends sneak down to the enemy camp and they overhear conversations between two enemy soldiers in which one soldier says, I had this weird dream last night and tells the dream. And the other soldier says, oh, I know what that means. That means Gideon's going to wipe us out tomorrow. So at that point, finally, Gideon is confident in God's will. Now, why do I tell you that story? I'm not telling you, listen, please hear me. I am not telling you that when we don't know God's will, we should ask for some miraculous sign. I'm not saying don't proceed until there's a solar eclipse or uh, the lights flicker or something weird like that. I'm saying that God is patient with us. He was patient with Gideon. He wants us to be sure. He wants us to know his will. And so when we come to him and we say, Lord, I, I think I know what you're calling me to do, but I need some confirmation, he's going to answer that prayer. 
So don't be afraid to come to Him. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, what I want more than anything else is to know that I'm doing the right thing. So show me your will. So if we shouldn't ask for miraculous signs, what should we expect? How will God confirm His will? One of my favorite books that's ever been written on this subject is Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Many of you have done that Bible study. If you haven't, I highly, highly recommend it. But here's one of the things that Blackaby said that I've never forgotten. He said, God can speak any way He wants to. That's what we said last week. But these days, these days God seems to speak primarily in four ways. Through the Bible, through prayer, through the circumstances of life, and through His people, through fellow believers, the church. And I just want to give you an example from my own life of how that works. So some of you know my story, many of you don't. But I did not grow up aspiring to the ministry. In fact, it never entered my mind. My dad wasn't a preacher. I never grew up saying, well, wouldn't it be great to be pastor of a church someday? So when I was 21 and I was newly married, life wasn't working out like I thought it would. I had definitely married the right person, but marriage wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. Uh, we were fighting all the time. We were unhappy with each other. I wasn't happy in my work. I, I thought that I knew the path that God wanted me to go. I, I tried to follow. I, I got into an industry or tried to get into an industry that I thought fit my skills and my interests. It wasn't working out. So I was miserable. And I remember going to a minister friend, actually the pastor who married us, and, and telling him my troubles and saying, what should I do? And here was his advice. He said, well, I don't know, but hard times should always drive you to the cross. And I didn't really know what that meant, but all I thought it meant was you need to get to know God better. You need to cling to Christ harder than you ever have before. So all I knew to do was read the Bible. I'd, I'd gotten into a habit over the past several years of, of reading a chapter a day of the Bible, but I, I, I started reading more. I would read in my free moments. I would get up in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep and I'd read. And the more I read, the more hungry for Scripture I became. And then an interesting thing happened. I started coming up with ways to preach the Word as I was reading it. I was working a job in a warehouse at the time, and, and as I was stacking boxes or as I was filling orders, I would be thinking to myself about what I'd read the day before. And well, if I were to preach that story or that passage, here's how I would preach it. And to be honest, the sermons that I was coming up with weren't bad. I mean, they weren't great, but I would, be, I would have been excited to stand in front of a bunch of people and share what God was teaching me. And so I thought to myself, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? I mean, I was, I was committed to a career in sports broadcasting. It had nothing to do with preaching. So I asked God, I said, Lord, is this you trying to tell me that I'm headed in the wrong direction, that I need to go into the ministry, that I need to pastor? I couldn't imagine doing that. I, I mean, standing in front of a bunch of people and talking, I could see that, but leading a church, being in charge of a business meeting, doing funerals, I just couldn't imagine that for myself. So I said, Lord, if that's what you're doing, I need some confirmation. I need to be certain. And so I started talking to people about it. I started talking to people I trust. And, and some would say, yeah, I can definitely see that, that God would call you into the ministry. And I even had some people who'd known me my whole life say, yeah, I always thought he'd call you, which made me want to say, well, why didn't you tell me so? But for me, the biggest and most, most clinching confirmation I got was when I shared this with my wife, who I'd been married to three months. By the way, side note, talk about the ultimate bait and switch. This poor girl married somebody she thought was going to go into television work and be rich and famous, and instead he comes to her three months later and says, hey, guess what? 
be prepared for life in single wide trailers and parsonages and being the preacher's wife, I wouldn't have blamed her if she would have left me at that point. But instead, she said something that I've never forgotten. She said, I've known since I was a teenager that God called me to be the wife of a minister. And I believed that God was going to call you someday. I just didn't know when it would happen. And you talk about a confirmation. That was, that was the confirmation I needed. And I've never forgotten that moment. See, God will confirm his will to you. You can, you can bank on that. And you might say, well, that's great, Jeff, but I have a decision to make right now. What should I do? I don't have time to develop the skill of hearing God's voice. What should I do? We're going to have a message in this series on decision-making 101, and that's going to come up later. But for now, let me just say, if, if there's a decision coming up and God has a specific will for you and you are open to hearing His voice, He knows what your deadline is. If He has a specific will, He'll make it known to you. If He doesn't and you're truly seeking His will, listen, it's quite possible God is saying, this decision is really important to you, but it's not to me. So you do whatever you want over there just as long as you're putting me first. Let me just say this, and let me close with this. Um, God speaks in, in, in a number of different ways. But there is one thing God has said that is the most important thing He'll ever say to you, and the most important thing He'll ever say to me. And those are the words that Jesus spoke as He died. And those are the words, it is finished. Those words He spoke just before He breathed His last breath. In those words and in that death, he was saying two things. He was saying, number one, you are so lost that it requires the God in human flesh come and die in your place just to rescue you. That's how lost you are. Don't try to do this on your own. But it also says, not only are you so lost that God has to die in your place, but you're so loved that He's glad to do it. So don't ever think, that you're not worthy or that you don't matter, no matter what the voices of the world say or your own mind says, you matter to God so much, He'd die for you a thousand times if that's what it took to bring you home. Remember that. In fact, base your life on that.